And right now we're going to read the Bible, and we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and when it's open and taught faithfully, God speaks to us. And so that's why we open it here every single week here at City Light and speak from it. And today we are in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, and we're in chapter 1, looking at sentences 3 through to 10, and Graham will come and speak to us from this passage after this. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in His Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's start with prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Thanks that you've given us your word, that we can stop in this moment. And I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that I won't get in the way of the things that you want to say. And Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts to hear from you the things that you have for us. We pray these things in your almighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Six years ago, myself, Sarah, our two kids, we got on a plane, we left everything we knew to be church planting in Italy. You see, we were totally sold out to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We wanted to go to a place where people hadn't heard the gospel, we wanted to go to a place where there weren't many workers. We were on mission. We had a heart to see the church grow. We had a heart to see disciples made, and we wanted, in faith, to see things multiply. We were all in. Well, at least as much as we knew what it meant to be all in. We got rid of everything we had. We packed four suitcases. We packed a cardboard box. That's all that was left. We said goodbye to a world that we knew, family, friends. And we implanted ourselves in a new world, a beautiful world. It has an amazing story, but it was completely foreign to us. A language we couldn't speak, a government we didn't understand, an education system we'd never experienced, and a people we didn't know. The city where we were was Trieste. It's a beautiful place. It's really unique for Italy. It has a wild history. It is full of amazing food. It is on the water. It is on the foothills of the Italian Alps. But it's a really hard place. The city has about 200,000 people, and maybe 100 of those people are followers of Jesus. Our church was tiny, and it was understood by our city as a cult. 
the Triestini people had their own dialect. So they didn't just speak Italian, they also spoke their own dialect. They, they had their own way of thinking. And to get in with them, it was really hard. The Triestini people themselves rever- referred to themselves as hard-headed, testadura. They, they change or new ideas, they weren't interested. Hope, as I said before, hope to the Triestini people was something that a fool has. The spiritual ground in Trieste was concrete. It was really hard. I remember we'd been there almost a month, not quite a month, and it was Christmas morning. Culturally, the church doesn't gather on Christmas morning, so it was me and Sarah and the two kids. We were in an apartment. It was kind of half-furnished. had marble floors, so that was nice, but not a whole lot else. So it was pretty cold. It was cold outside as well. It was our first Northern Hemisphere Christmas. It was freezing. We hadn't organized a, a Christmas tree for ourselves yet. So Sarah had painted a Christmas tree on a piece of paper, and we put it in the window, and we all sat on the floor around a painted Christmas tree. We thought about our family and friends in sunny Australia. They were all asleep. We felt very far away, and we felt very alone. We were starting to discover what it meant to be all in. I guess that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. What does it mean for us as disciples to be all in? Completely sold out for Jesus. As I look at this room wall here for different reasons, maybe it's part of our, our worship or our faith, or maybe we're here for social reasons, but the central call for all of us today is about God. And it doesn't matter what brings us here, whether it is that step of faith or worship to be here. The question is the same. What's it going to take for us to be all in, to be a disciple? We were realizing that for us to be all in wasn't about getting on an aeroplane and flying to a different country. It was certainly part of it, but it wasn't all of it. And as we thought about this and as I I wrestled with these ideas, I started to think, well, maybe there's some examples in the Bible of other people that have gone before us that have lived the sold-out life, have been all in, have been good examples for us as believers. And the natural person you kind of go to is the Apostle Paul. He is the ultimate missionary church planter guy, right? That's what he does well, so he's a good place to start. He... I mean, he was commissioned by Jesus himself. Jesus, face-to-face, told Paul to go. Paul went, and he planted churches. I mean, Paul's work was really the gospel starting to reach out to the rest of the world. Paul is a literal hero of faith. I mean, we read that passage today. Paul wrote that. You know, 2,000 years later, Paul's the guy, right? And it wasn't just like, Rainbows and butterflies for Paul, it, it, was, it was through really, really tough life. He was beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, imprisoned, isolated, lived in poverty. And despite all that, Paul says things like, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. 
This guy is amazing. He preached, he prayed, he wept for people, he healed people. And as I looked for an example, some encouragement of what I'm meant to be like, I ended up starting to feel inadequate, talentless, confused in comparison. Our Italian church community was 15 adults. Our friends that we had, they didn't want anything to do with church. Some people were quite hostile to the idea of church. We were a cult, and there was lots of resistance. Nothing was happening for us like it did for Paul. I think this kind of looking at the amazing things was a bit of an issue for me, even as I was growing up or even as I was studying at Bible college. I could look at people and think, wow, look at them. Aren't they amazing? Look at all their gifts. Look at all their talents. I can see how God is going to be using them. I would use some external assessment to judge whether I deserve to be there or not. But I realized this has nothing to do with being all in. The reality, as we lived in Italy, we weren't looking for amazing people. We were there simply to share God's story of love. God doesn't care what we bring to the table. And this is what really struck me in a completely new way that I'd never really seen before. The more I investigated Paul, the more I saw his authenticity. Paul was never going around saying you had to be someone special. Paul knew God and Paul loved him. Paul loved God. I mean, it's really simple, but it's really profound. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love compels me. He says he's convinced that Jesus died for him. All the amazing external things that happened don't make someone all in. They're simply an outcome, a fruit. Paul was compelled, unable to stop his response to God, forced on a path, without barrier, without restriction, without fear, because he knew God, experienced God, and experienced the love of Jesus. That's what it is to be all in. It's to have that very central part of you, that bit that births everything that you do, wholly and solely consumed in a relationship with God. And what Paul does is he doesn't give information about God, He communicates who God is and the relationship that you can have with him. Not submission to a dictator, not a set of rules, but an authentic testimony of truth for a relationship with God. A relationship that Paul has personally with God. I wanted to be all in and to be used and the requirements to do so was not to be amazing It was to know God and to love him. And that's what we wanted to tell the people of Trieste, Italy. We wanted to tell them to know God and to love him. And it's in that order. You see, without knowledge or relationship, we objectify. So Paul knew God first, and then he loved God. I want to share with you this passage um, that was read out before from Ephesians chapter 1. And it... It's one of the many, many times that Paul describes who it is 
that we're to love, the God we are to know. And there's so much in this passage. I would love to go through everything a little bit, but we're not going to have time. But I really just want to highlight a couple of things, things that show God is worthy of our affections. As I, as I read through it, the first thing I'd love you guys to do is just notice the time. There's three sets of time in this passage. There's before time, before history. There's the time of what happened during time, and there's also time that happens in the future. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and this passage is just part of the introduction. Verse 3 starts like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before time existed, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, this is still before time, for adoption to his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved, beloved Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood. This is referencing something that happened in our history, in our time. We can look back on this day. For the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to him, uh, sorry, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purposes which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, something to come in the future, to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. To love God, we need to know who he is. So what does this passage tell us about time? In in sentence four and five, before time, we have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Blameless is this idea of being without accusation against you. So when we present to God, there's nothing to, to stop us. There's no barrier for the relationship. You know, we've been traveling different countries recently, and I went through customs. Have you ever been pulled aside as you know, the special chosen one to get swabbed for all the things? So I got that, and my daughter, Sydney, she was like, what are, what's the officer doing to Dad, you know? But I had no accusation against me. I was free. I could keep going, right? This is the idea when we present to God. There's nothing to stop us. This word holy, I also I feel like it's kind of been damaged over the years. Holy is this idea of being set apart for a particular purpose. You know, my son Enzo, he, um, he races little BMX bikes. He loves it. And when he does, he wears a little BMX shirt and his little BMX pants and, you know, he gets a whole kit. Those clothes are holy, right? You do not wear them any other place but racing BMX. They're purposed. They're set apart. Before we even existed, God was thinking about setting us apart to be blameless. Not only that, he was predestining us for adoption. I mean, adoption is huge, and this adoption is, you know, the full legal standing of a firstborn. It's it's a really serious thing. But our co-workers in, in Italy, this Italian family, they're adopting three Russian kids They've got one of their own. And it dawned on me as I watched them, it takes a huge effort to adopt someone. Years. They've been doing this for years, and they still haven't received these kids yet. 
It's cost them tens of thousands of dollars. You know, they had to buy a new car. They're getting all new furniture. They're, they're reshaping their whole life for these kids. The way they talk about these kids, it's like they birth them themselves. The care, the love, the affection it takes to adopt someone is massive. And this is happening, God to us, before he even knew us. You see, God isn't looking at us and reacting and thinking, oh, I need to do something here. He had planned, before we even existed, he was intentional. And he wasn't waiting to see what we're like, see if we're okay. You know, like you go get a puppy or something. He wasn't, he wasn't, he was unconditional, without condition, before he even knew us. So, if that happened before time, what happened in time? Sentence seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know, I love this. In our history books, in anyone you like, we can go back and we can identify the day that Jesus died. This actually happened. It's not a concept. We can actually identify the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And what happened is in, um, we have redemption through his blood for forgiveness. Redemption. This, this is another kind of crazy Christian word, you know. What does redemption mean? <laughs> There's this idea of redeeming something back. It's about a payment, a transaction. You know, I don't know if you have aluminium cans and you get a whole bunch, you take them to the recycle center, you take them in, and you get 10 cents back, you know, payment, you redeem your money. <laughs> What Jesus does with his blood is he redeems us back. He brings about forgiveness and returns us back to a perfect state. Blameless. Here, the exchange, Jesus' blood brings us back. Before time, he's setting us apart, blameless, to be part of his family in time. He's doing it through his death on the cross. And in sentence uh, sentence 10, there's going to be this literal moment, another moment when the completed redemptive work of Jesus comes together and Jesus will bring everything back to his perfect will. It's described here to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. What he's talking about is something that we have to look forward to. It's not over. This isn't the end of the story. God's plan is still outworking. You see, it started before we existed. He entered into our time, and he's saying to us that one day, everything's going to be exactly as he planned, united in him. That's secure hope. It's not hope like, I hope I win the lottery. It's secure hope like, I'm 10 and I go downstairs the night before Christmas, open all the presents, see what I have, pack them back up and go home and hope I get it in the morning. That's what it's like. We know it. This is a God you can fall in love with. This is a relationship we can have. This is someone we can be all in for. I haven't even mentioned in the passage half of the things that are actually going on. I'm not mentioning being blessed in every spiritual blessing or his riches, his grace, his generosity, his wisdom. I mean, there's so much more in here. And as we read it, I hope you even heard Paul's affection as he writes. 
For Paul, this isn't information. He's not giving you a list or something like that. It's authentic testimony from Paul's heart. I mean, it's absolutely true, but it's from his heart. He uses words like blessed, praised, glorious, lavished. He's talking about a God he knows, a God he loves. Where we were in Italy, the God that Paul describes was not known. They had a completely different perspective of who God was. The common thought about God where we were, that God was a gatekeeper standing at a doorway saying, yes, you can go in or no, you can't go in. That he was standing, making decisions about whether you got blessing or curse. They had this idea that God was measuring you constantly. Were you good enough? Had you paid enough? Had you sacrificed enough? They had no idea of the God that Paul talks about. The people we shared our life with, they'd never heard about a God who thought about them before time existed, before the foundation of the world. That loved them so much that he wanted to make a payment for them so he could adopt them. They thought God was heavy and burdensome. See, to love God, to be all in for God, we've got to first know who God is. Uh, Before I keep going, I guess I I want to stop and just share a little bit about some of the stuff that we went through while we were in that place as well. You know, Sarah and I had some really, really dark days. Days where we felt completely broken. Broken by the loneliness, broken by the feeling of not being known or understood or seen, wrestling with health, wrestling with anxiety, no help, the constant, unrelenting spiritual darkness. I remember times standing in our house calling out to God, not like in my head, but at the point where I have nothing left and calling out an audible voice, God, where are you? Why won't you help me? Why won't you help my family? Why won't you intervene? Why don't you give us a moment's break from one struggle to the next? It's hard for me to say this, but I remember I remember thinking, God, I don't understand. I've given you everything of me. I've given you my marriage, my kids. I've left everything I can rely on so I can rely on you. Where are you? You're meant to be a good father. We had some really tough times. I'm I'm convinced when you're taking to breaking point, it's really easy to start rewriting who God is. To forget the absolute eternal truths about God's character. What he says he will do and his absolute faithfulness to do it. We can take the things that we're going through and convince ourselves what it means is God's abandoned us. He doesn't care. To take a a, a temporary feeling, a temporary moment, even though it might be caused by something profoundly significant, and take that temporary idea and flip it upside down and make it an eternal truth about God. 
But I want to encourage you. Don't ever think God's abandoned you. Don't ever think God is handing out a punishment. Don't ever think he's watching you struggle and you're all alone. It's not true. Today we're talking about being all in. What does it mean? What does it take to be all in? It comes from a place of love, relational, real, concrete things, true things that move our affections. But the truth is this. God is the one that's all in. God's the one that's all in. When I stood there in my kitchen calling out to God, I was forgetting that before I existed, God was making a plan for me. I was forgetting that he was figuring out a a way to adopt me, to set me apart. I was forgetting that he was going to pay for me with his own son. God's all in. I was forgetting that my life, my purposes, my future, it's not over. I have something good to look forward to. It's not finished. There will be a day when my struggles end. There will be no more confusion, no more pain, no more weakness. There will be life in the full riches of God, in the fullness of his glory, the fullness of his plan. God is all in. Paul got it. He says to this believing church in Ephesus, God is all in. Look at who he is. God has given them everything they need, every spiritual blessing, the richness of his grace, everything they need to get through. And he's not hands off. He's actively working out his will, his purposes. It's happening. It's still happening. Paul was all in without restriction because he understood how all in God is. And there's something so spectacular, so undescribable about the nature of God in this, in this regard. You see, his demonstration, his example of his love is also the very means by which we're enabled to be all in ourselves. In Jesus, our shortfalls Our blemishes, our rebellion, our self-promotion, they're all dealt with. We're set free and safe to be all in. My failings, my lack of talent, my whatever it is, it's all eaten up in Jesus. My successes, my gifts, my potentials, my families, my hopes, my dreams, they're all wrapped up in Jesus. There's no trial or suffering that Jesus has not overcome, not even death. There's no goal or success that we can have, no relationship or lifestyle that we can have that can compare <coughs> excuse me, to knowing and spending our future with Jesus. Jesus is better. City Light, I love coming to this place. It, it's actually quite overwhelming for us to be loved on by you the way that you do. It's nuts. You know, we spent a long bit of time in dark places. You come in here and the affection you have for us is amazing. Thank you. You're such an encouragement. 
You encouraged us while we were in Italy, your prayers, your communication. You reminded us of who God is. You helped us hang in there. I look forward to when we're in Ireland, being blessed by this church. I look forward to what that is. But don't let the goodness of this place confuse you to think you've arrived. Instead, let who God is grow a passion in you for this city. For all the hearts out there that don't yet know that God is doing something for them before the foundation of the world. Being all in, to, to put all your faith, your security, your trust all in Jesus, it speaks to every day of our lives, every, every relationship we have, every good thing in our life. Being all in, it's not having our, our love for God as one of the things in our lives, it's having that as the thing. And it's good. God is using this community and he wants to keep using this community. God has a place for you to contribute. It doesn't matter if it's overseas or behind a closed door in prayer. When we're all in, because we know who God is, we're compelled to respond. Don't settle. I pray that God will grow the church in Trieste to be like this and in Ireland too. But don't settle. Take it and run with it. God's not finished. That time hasn't come. God's all in. He wants to grow and grow stronger disciples and he wants to use this body. You know, I've got us thinking about Paul today, but I thought maybe I'll just talk about Peter, the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter. I, I like that guy. I mean, I've never met him, but, you know, we read about him. Paul is just an amazing God. And the thing I love about him, at the end of the day, he loved God. But Peter, he's a little bit like me. He kind of makes mistakes along the way. It takes him a bit longer to get things. You know, he asks the stupid questions, all those kind of things. And I want to share with you this account. It's from um, John's Gospel. And it's, um, it's set after Jesus' resurrection. After Jesus' resurrection, he cooks some breakfast for the disciples and they have breakfast together. He appears to them and he talks to them. Uh, they have fish for breakfast. Uh, that's weird. Does anyone else have? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's a different time, I guess. And the situation is this. Peter, while Jesus was on his way to his crucifixion, was asked three times if he knew who Jesus was. And Peter knew who Jesus was. They were tight. They were really tight. And in that knowledge, when Peter was asked, instead of saying, yeah, we're really close, he said, I didn't know him. He denied this relationship. And I don't know if you have a close friend and there's been a fracture, but that's a pretty significant fracture. After the resurrection, Jesus goes and he he goes to reinstate Peter to fix this thing. He doesn't yell at him or accuse him or anything like that. He looks him in the eye and he says to his dear friend Peter, he calls him by his full name, he says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? He stares him in the eye and asks him this question. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, he asked me, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, tend to my sheep. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord. And it says, he, he wants, he's, he's upset he gets asked a third time. But you know, it doesn't matter how many times we do something, you know, deny God or anything like that. Jesus keeps coming back. And he comes back a third time. And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And today as we've been thinking about what it is to be all in, what was happening in that moment is Jesus was standing in front of his, friend, his, his disciple Peter, looking him in the eyes, and he's saying, are you all in? Do you love me? And it's from the response of that that Jesus then says, go and do this. And what I want to do here as I stand in front of you is I want to personalize this and I want to ask you that question. Are you all in? Jesus says, do you love me? You know, I, you've got to know this in your own heart. It's not something that I'll ever know or the people around you will know, but we know what it is to be all in. We know when we're not quite there. I mean, we were just in Queensland just this last week and it was a little bit warmer up in Queensland. But it's still cold, all right? And there's a pool and when it's cold, you don't swim. Right? Some people do and some people don't. But my kids, they're all in. Right? It doesn't matter what the temperature is. We know when we're all in. I stand here and I ask you today, do you love me? Are you all in? You know, maybe today you answer that, yes, I've been all in for ages, praise God. Or maybe, maybe you answer, I want to be all in in a completely new way. I'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to pray with you about it. Maybe it's the first time you've really been confronted with that question. And you want to respond. And you want to say yes. We'd love to hear it. We'd love you to share it with us. We'd love to pray with you through that. Maybe I stand here and I ask you that question. You're thinking, man, I, I, I don't know. That's hard. I'm scared. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's something that you're finding really hard to give up that's a barrier between you and God. Something that God wants to show you his son has paid for. Maybe, maybe you just don't want to let go and you want a little bit of control. would love to hear it. would love to pray with you through it. We're going to be around after the service to do that. City Light, you have redemption through the blood of Jesus. You've been adopted. You have a secure future from a God who is absolutely, completely all in. Let's pray. Lord God, when we have restrictions, you don't. When we have fear, you don't. When we can't see the future, you can. Thank you for who you are. Help us understand who you are. 
Thank you for providing a way for us to be all in. Amen.